Well, there was a story of a woman who was trying to raise her daughter as a Christian in the ways of God. And as she was doing so, she was not getting any support at all from her husband. He was not going to church. He was not helpful at all in reinforcing the things. In fact, actually, he worked against her, many of the things that she would do. Well, one day, they had gone to church that Sunday morning, and in the Sunday school lesson that the little girl had, she had one of those Sunday school teachers who knew the real true creation story and taught her what the Bible had said, how that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and that the earth became formless and void, and that God recreated it in Genesis chapter 1, bringing back the light that was here before, bringing back the dry land that was here before. And he reformed it and re-brought it all back in. And then he put the animals on the earth and man on the earth and all the things that he did. And she was so excited and she came home and she was telling her mom all about what the Sunday school teacher had taught her about creation. And her mom listened and her mom knew some details that her daughter might appreciate. And so she filled in some more of the story of things that had happened. And the daughter was just so excited about learning about how God created the world. She went home, and in her excitement, she shared it with her father. And her father listened, and he was very disappointed. And he said, well, he said, we go to church and we hear stories, but they're just that, they're stories. And we sometimes learn some things that help us to become good people, but you have to remember that they're just stories. There's no science, and there's no facts. The fact is that he began to tell her about evolution and how man evolved from apes, and things of, of this nature. And the daughter came out and she, at the end, she said, well, all right, I understand. And she was very down and very upset. And she went back to her mom and she said, mom, how can both of these stories be true? And the mom looked at her and said, well, daddy was talking about his side of the family. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Well, we're talking today about Father Knows Best. That is certainly a story that Father did not know best, but we serve a Father who does know best. And we're going to take a look at some folks who had gone to God to ask what his opinion on something was. But as we've gone over these last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the, uh, how pride can come up in our life and the effect that it has upon us. We looked before that when pride comes in, how can we avoid that, how can we avoid pride coming into our life? And so we use the acronym that. You remember what that stands for? Thoughts. That pride comes in first off as a thought. It then progresses into your heart. From your heart, it becomes an action. And from there, it begins to influence our talk. If you want to avoid that, first off, stop it from getting into your thoughts. Don't let it get into your heart. Do not let your actions become based upon it, nor let it influence your talk. We went on in there and we looked at the different folks that were involved with these things, ones that were overtaken by pride, and they had their way affected. Hophni and Phinehas were of this sort. They had gotten so overtaken with pride that they decided that what they wanted in life was more important than what God said. And they went along a way in which they took what they wanted from the sacrifices instead of what God said was supposed to happen. They did things with people in the temple that they were not supposed to do. And God eventually struck them down and they died. Your way can be affected when you get off into pride. And you can do things actually daring God. People can get so, so bold 
as Pharaoh did, and just basically dare God. I am not going that way. I'm going my way. And that's not a, a good place to be. We saw that there are three places to be. There's the prideful, the humble, and the false humility. Our goal is to stay down the middle of the road, which is being humble. But false humility can come in and make us think that we are all, everything about our life is deficient. We're just bad in everything. And pride thinks that I'm, a, I'm right in everything. We've got to stay down that middle of the road in that area of being humble. Prideful people, when they hear correction, they always think about the people who need to hear it. Humble people hear correction and they apply it to their life if their life needs it. And they absorb it for later on in case they're doing okay. People who walk in false humility feel that every correction is for them. That nothing in their life is right. And that's not the way to, to go either. Last week, we looked at how pride will elevate your needs above the Word of God. And we saw that Ahab wanted a vegetable garden and wanted to take over a man's vineyard to have a vegetable garden. And when the man said, no, I'm not going to sell my vineyard. It's been in my family, and God has not allowed me to sell it. He became distraught. And we saw that the king, who had a castle, who had food coming out his ears, who had so much stuff, he had chariots, he had horses, If he wanted dogs, he had dogs. If he wanted birds, he had birds. Whatever it is that he wanted, he had them. He had servants to take care of all the things, land, all sorts of stuff he had. But now he couldn't have his vegetable garden, and he was sad. When you fall into pride, you will forget all the blessings that God has given you, and you will focus on what you don't have. And what you don't have becomes the most important thing in your life. And until you get that, You will not be happy. That is a sign of pride. Remember, we talked about watching the signs. One of the signs of being in pride is you cannot appreciate what you do have because your eyes are fixed on what you don't. That is a sign of pride. It's a warning. Get out of pride because God does what with the proud? He resists the proud, but for those that are humble, he gives grace. We didn't get to the scripture last time, but in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1, therefore, if There is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. When you look at your needs as being greater than the Word of God, as being greater than other people, you are esteeming yourself as higher. Let each one of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. A person who is in false humility will only look after the interests of other people. Please understand that. That's a sign. A person who is in false humility will only look after the needs of other people. A person who is in pride will only look after the needs of themselves. A humble person will do exactly what the Word of God said, which was, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. It is not pride to look out after your own interest. You need to look after your interest and the interest of others. That is the way we need to walk. That's the thing that we need to do. Well, let's go on here to, to where we are today. 
And we're going to be over in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 41. And before we get to Jeremiah, chapter 41, I'm going to summarize for you Jeremiah, chapter 40. Because we're reading a lot of chapters here. And this is the setting for this thing. Now, Babylon has come down and Nebuchadnezzar has conquered. And as he deposed the king that Israel had or that Judah had, he set up a governor. And this governor, Gedaliah, was, was to rule the land and to keep it in order for Nebuchadnezzar. And he left a remnant of people in the land to take care of the land and to keep the land going. But a lot of the people he, he took out as captives. And so there was Ishmael and ten others who rose up against Gedaliah. And they killed him. They didn't like something he was doing. Whatever it was, they rose up and they killed him. And so some of the people in Israel, Johanan, uh, raised up some of the captains, and they went after Ishmael for what he had done. Well, they went after him, but they didn't get him. He escaped, and he got away, and he went over to the land of the Ammonites. But the people who were still in land, they were afraid, because the person that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up as the governor of the land was killed by the people of the land. And they figured that the king would come on back down to Judah and wipe them all out. So they were afraid of what would happen. And so they made up a plan. And of course, what is Israel's, what is their backup plan always? Always their backup plan is whenever they run into trouble, they think, let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt. They do it again. They got a plan. We're going to go back to Egypt. (laughs) I tell you what, some things you just don't unlearn, right? These folks have never been to Egypt and never been in slavery with Egypt. But still, when they get into trouble, let's go back to Egypt. Now, the reason why they want to go back to Egypt now is because Nebuchadnezzar has been conquering a lot of the world, but he has not yet conquered Egypt. So there's no sense in going to a part of the world in which Nebuchadnezzar has conquered because he'll come there and get you. Where you need to go is someplace where he has not conquered. And Egypt is a pretty strong nation. And they figured Egypt would stay independent. They would win. So they decided to put their money on Egypt and go there and figure that either Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't come down to attack them or if he did that the Egyptians would be tougher and they would be okay. So that was their idea. But um, they didn't stop there. Said They have a prophet in the, in the land and so they decided to go to the prophet and the prophet's name is Jeremiah. And in chapter 42, we're going to pick up with the story there. Now all the captains of the forces, Johanan, the son of Kareah, Jezaniah, the son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least to the greatest came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet. Now listen to their words here. Please let our petition be acceptable to you and pray for us to the Lord your God. For all this remnant, since we are left but a few of many, as you can see, that the Lord your God may show us the way in which we should walk and the thing which we should do. Does that sound good? It sounds outstanding, doesn't it? There's nothing wrong with what they said. It sounds outstanding. Now, understand this. When you get into pride, what's the last thing that's affected? Your speech. That's the last thing that's affected. Your actions will be affected before your speech is. Because most people who are in pride realize they can't say this stuff out loud. It's amazing. You find people that are in pride and they're whispering to other people. And as soon as you come in the room or as soon as somebody comes in the room who's not caught up in that pride, what do they do? They hush up. They don't, because they know. <laughs> they know. You, you can't let that. So they're, they're before Jeremiah. Now, is Jeremiah caught up in pride? 
No. So if a humble person comes to a spiritual person or someone who is, who is uh, uh, humble like Jeremiah, if a prideful person comes to someone who is humble, they are going to make their words sound humble. It is amazing to me that prideful people know how to make their words sound humble. They know how to do it. Because the first place that the pride comes in is the thoughts. The second place it comes to is your heart. It then affects your actions and then influences your words. Now, we went over this a few weeks ago. But if you get to a certain place with your thoughts or your will, God will see it as done. We saw that with Abraham. When Abraham committed himself to sacrificing his son, God saw it as a done deal and said, because you have done this, I can do this, even though no sacrifice was made. So that's why we got to guard our thoughts. Because if it takes over your thoughts and into your heart, even though it hasn't affected your actions yet, God sees it as done. Now, where that line is, I don't know. Don't flirt with it. There are some lines you just shouldn't flirt with. You, you, just, you just shouldn't do it. You know, uh, growing up as a little boy, we know a lot about lines. I think boys know more about lines than girls do. Because girls generally tend to stay away from lines. You know, if you have a cliff, a line, you know, there's the cliff, there's the line. If you have a cliff, if you have a, a group of people... And it's half girls and half boys. Most, not all, I know that there are some girls out there that will go up to the line. But most girls stay away from the line, right? Most of the girls, they stay, don't go to the line. Okay, we'll stay away. They'll stay away. They'll, they'll go over here. They won't cross over the line. But most of the boys are where? Right on the line, looking over. Get back. What do you have to say to the boys all the time? Get back, get back, get back. When we drop a bunk bed off at a house, and if I am dropping off a bunk bed in a girl's room, I usually leave the stain in the room and tell the parents, here's the stain in case you need to repair it. If I put a bunk bed in a boy's room, I take the stain and I hand it to the mom or dad. I will not leave stain in the little boy's room. <laughs> and I tell them that. I tell them because I was a little boy. That's exactly. I tell. I was a little. Bo- I know what we will do with these things, so I do not leave it. Not even for a moment. I carry the stain out of the little boy's room, and we give it to the mom and dad. In the little girl's room, I tell them now. You know, you don't want to leave that up there. You want to put that someplace good, but it's fine the way it is right now because the little girls, they'll leave it alone. The little boys, uh, uh-uh. <laughs> nope, 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 not at all. Now there are some boys who will leave it alone, but the majority of them will not. And there are some girls who will mess with it, but the majority of them will not. Boys just seem to like to flirt with the lines. It just seems to, to be that way that, you know, we got those lines. But, you know, God has lines here, and, and just don't cross them. We just don't want to do it. Stay away from the lines. So they say these things, and it sounds really, really good. And I'm sure that Jeremiah, Jeremiah is thinking, man, this is great. These guys are asking God of some things. Then Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard, indeed, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your words, and it shall be that whatever the Lord answers you, I will declare it to you. I will keep nothing back from you. So they said to Jeremiah, let the Lord be true and faithful witness between us. If we do not do according to everything which the Lord your God sends us by you, 
whether it is pleasing or displeasing, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to, to whom we send you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. Does that sound good or does that sound bad? That sounds outstanding, doesn't it? This is really good. <laughs> I mean, if we, if, if we meant half the things we say, we'd probably be in good shape. I mean, this is great. We don't care. If he tells us something good to do, we'll do it. If he tells us something we don't think is good to do, we will do it because he said to do it. We will obey, and uh, he'll, it'll be good for us because we obey. And it happened after 10 days, 10 days, Jeremiah the prophet goes after God and seeks God for this thing for 10 days, 10 days. That's over a week. How many of you have ever ordered something off of Amazon.com and get a little antsy if you don't get it before 10 days? In fact, you wanted how many days? Two. Two days. You'll only wait two days, but, you know, <laughs> we wanted that thing. We ordered it. I paid for it. I want it now. <laughs> we, want it, we want it right here, and it's not here yet. It's still coming. Now, sometimes Amazon's real nice, and they send you that nice tracking thing so you can kind of watch it. And, oh, it's over here in Illinois. It's over here in Ohio. Oh, it's coming. It's over here. It's in Philly. It's coming tomorrow. You can get all excited about that, but it's still not here yet. Ten days they waited for Jeremiah. Now, I'm sure that they saw Jeremiah sometimes on the street. Did you hear anything yet? Not yet. Not yet. I'm still seeking God. What are you doing here? Get out there and seek the Lord. Come on. They're, they're anxious. They want to find out what, what he has to say, I'm sure. And so uh, Jeremiah, who waits 10 days, and it happened after 10 days that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. And then he called Johanan, Johanan the son of Kareah, all the captains of the forces which were with him, and all the people from the least even to the greatest, and said to them. So all the people are gathered. He got them all. He called them, whether they came or not, we don't know, but he called them. He called them all. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your petition before him. If you will remain in this land, then I will build you and not pull you down. And I will plant you and not pluck you up. For I relent concerning the disaster that I have brought upon you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. <laughs> so what he's saying is this. You are already afraid of him. But don't do it anymore. You are right now, and they are afraid. They're afraid. They're, they're, they're thinking he's going to come down and kill them all because of what's happened. And they want to go down to Egypt where he doesn't have any jurisdiction. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon of whom you are afraid. Do not be afraid of him, says the Lord. So he says it twice. What, you think he's trying to get a point across? Don't be afraid of the king of Babylon. For I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. And I will show you mercy, that he may have mercy on you and cause you to return to your own land. But if you say, we will not dwell in this land, disobeying the voice of the Lord your God, saying, no, but we will go to the land of Egypt, where we shall see no war, nor hear the sound of the trumpet, nor be hungry for bread, and there we will dwell, then hear how the word of the Lord then here now, the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Now, what they asked him for was, ask God what we should do. So when he goes to God, what's he asking God? What should we do? Has he already answered that? Yeah. 
He's already done it. But now he goes on. The word of the Lord continued. The word of the Lord that came to them was not just a word about the question that they asked. The question they asked is, what should we do? And we'll do it. The question was answered. And then he goes on. And he says, now, if you don't listen, this is what's going to happen. Well, they already said that they would listen. Didn't he? Didn't they already say when they request? Whatever he says, good or bad, we will do it. So if that is the case, why does God throw this in here? These are not Jeremiah's words. This is the word that Jeremiah got from God. Then hear now the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. This is what he is saying. If you decide not to do what he says, this is what the Lord is saying. Is God a man of many words? He is a God of few words. He says more and less than and anyone I know. He can say, you know, four words and wow, just blow you away. <laughs> he is not wordy. So why is he getting wordy here? He's already answered the question. He's already done what was necessary. But he goes on. If you wholly set your faces to enter Egypt and go to dwell there, then it shall be the sword which you feared shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt. The famine of which you were afraid shall follow close after you there in Egypt, and there you shall die. So shall it be with all the men who set their faces to go to Egypt to dwell there. They shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. And none of them shall remain or escape from the disaster that I will bring upon them. Well, that's pretty thorough, isn't it? All right. You're afraid that famine, you're afraid that sword is going to come to you here in Israel. I'm telling you this. If you go to Egypt, sword will follow you there. The sword that you fear will follow you there and will kill you. You're afraid of famine? The famine will follow you there and will kill you. And if that doesn't, pestilence will come and it will kill you. Whatever happens, you will die there in Egypt. That's what he's telling them. <laughs> you will die in Egypt. If you go to Egypt, you're going to die there. That's it. For thus says the Lord, God, Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as my anger and my fury have been poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so will my fury be poured out on you when you enter Egypt. So if you enter into Egypt, all my wrath, all my fury, it's all going to be poured out on you. All you got to do to get that is enter Egypt. He doesn't even say enter any other place. He just says, if you enter Egypt, this is what's going to happen. And you shall, and you shall be an oath, an astonishment, a curse, and a reproach, and you shall see this place no more. The Lord has said concerning you, a remnant of Judah, do not go to Egypt. Can we be clearer? <laughs> I mean, God does not mess with words. He doesn't overdo words. But what are we seeing overdone here? Do not go to Egypt. If you go to Egypt, you will die. So don't go to Egypt. If you go to Egypt, you're not coming back. I will get you in Egypt. I will send all this stuff. You will die in Egypt. Don't go to Egypt. That's what he's saying. <laughs> Do not go to Egypt. Know certainly that I have admonished you this day. I think I would feel admonished. How many of you would feel admonished if you heard this? We would feel warned. We would feel admonished. Absolutely. Now, verse 20. This is why. For you were hypocrites in your hearts. 
when you sent me to the Lord your God, saying, Pray for us to the Lord our God, and according to all that the Lord your God says, so declare to us, and we will do it. And I have this day declared it to you, but you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God or anything which he has sent you by me. I think this is an amazing statement right here. Have they done anything yet? Have they uttered a word? They have not said, yes, we will do it. No, we will not. They have not done that yet. But look at the words here. But you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God or anything which he has sent you by me. What do you mean you haven't obeyed? We haven't had a chance yet. We just got the word. <laughs> right? Isn't that true? They just got the word. How can they be disobedient? Jeremiah hasn't even shut up yet. He's still talking. He's still giving out the word. He's still admonishing them. Now, therefore, know certainly that you shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence in the place where you desire to go to dwell. Does it sound like in this statement that there's any doubt in God's mind what they're going to do? Does it sound like to God, what they are about to do is already done. It does, doesn't it? Because what you think in your head that leaks down into your heart, when you purpose in your heart to do a thing, even before you do it, God sees it as done. Again, where that line is, I don't know. We're sales, we're not management. That's a management decision. Don't, ever, don't anybody try and get in there and make management decisions. We aren't able to do that. That's his job. He knows where the line is. It's his job to mess with it. And we're just you know, out here to tell people about the line. But he's telling them this. I already know. You sent me to go find out what God says, but you are already purposed in your heart that you're going to go down to Egypt. So I told you what the word of God is, but then I warned you about Egypt because I already know. That's where you're going to go. You want to go to Egypt. You've already set your mind to go to Egypt. So I'm telling you what's going to happen when you go down to Egypt. And in my mind, you've already done it because you have purposed in your heart and God sees them as not open to hearing anything contrary to it. Now, here's the thing. Is Jeremiah judging their motives? Got one word for you. Absolutely. The reason for it is because God has revealed their motives. It's called them a hypocrite. God revealed to them what they were doing. There were times that Jesus judged the motives of people that were around him because God revealed it to him. You may judge the motives of other people on a couple of reasons. One, if God reveals them to you supernaturally, and you better have confidence that God revealed it to you. And there are people in the Word of God who got it revealed and were very very good at hearing from God on that and, and, um, and brought those things about. And second is the people can expose their motives to you. Why did you do that? Because I hate them. Well, I know what your motive is now. I don't have to wonder about it. I can judge a motive that you brought out in the open. But if I decide on my own to piece together why you did a thing, that I am judging your motives not based on what you said or what God said. I'm, basing, I'm judging your motives based on what I feel. And that is wrong. That is wrong. That is what we are not called to do. But if a person exposes their motives to you, you may feel free to judge it. You judge it good, judge it bad. It could be either way. But God has already judged them on this 
I already know you're hypocrites. You sent me to, for this thing, but all you want to know is you just want a stamp of approval on the plan that you have, which is to go to Egypt. That's your plan. Verse 1, chapter 43. Now it happened when Jeremiah had stopped talking. Now it took a little while, but he finally stopped talking. When he stopped speaking to all the people, all the words of the Lord their God, for which the Lord their God had sent him to them, all these words, there were a lot of words, and we're repeating this, there was a lot of words. <laughs> he was doing a lot of speaking, he was doing a lot of talking, because there was a lot of words that came from God to them, and it took him a while to speak all those words to them. And when he got finished speaking all those words to them, that Azariah, the son of Hushiah, Johanan, the son of Kareah, and all the what? Proud men spoke, saying to Jeremiah, You speak falsely. Now, this speaks volumes. How long did Jeremiah spend to get the word of the Lord? Ten days. How long did they spend researching, praying about, meditating on, or in any way doing anything with, the word that Jeremiah spoke. <laughs> we can measure it in seconds, not days. And they come out with this idea. You speak falsely. How could they know that? They asked him to go to the Lord. They didn't go to the Lord. He went to the Lord. They didn't spend any time going to the Lord. He went to the Lord. They felt like they couldn't hear they wouldn't get it or that it was his job, whatever it was. They sent him to the Lord and they waited the 10 days, probably asking him along the way. Did you hear anything yet? Did anything come to you yet? Nope, not yet. After 10 days, he calls them all together. He says it. And their first words are. You speak falsely. I put this in my outline because this came to me after I already printed yours out, but I didn't have any room to put it in yours anyway. If you want to write it in there, you can do whatever you want to with it. But people in pride will speak to the authenticity of what you say based on how they receive it, not based on its source, facts, or rightness. Let me say this for you again. People in pride will speak to the authenticity of what you say based on how they receive it, not based on its source, its facts, or its rightness. And here you got a great case of it. These people are in pride. The Bible has already identified them as that. They are speaking. The only way they can speak to what Jeremiah has, had, has said is based on how they Received it. That's all they can do. That's all they've got right now is how they received it. And they speak out of that. You speak falsely. So because I did not receive it, you are false. And we see this same attitude in the world today. No matter what area you get into, you can get into the global warming debate. And people refuse what you say, not based on the facts that you put out, not based on the source that you would quote, not based on the rightness of the data, they would simply respond to you based on how they receive it. That's it. It doesn't matter. The facts don't matter. 
You can speak to a number of issues that are going on today. You can speak to the, the homosexual issue. You can speak to the abortion issue. You can speak to the gun law issue. You can speak to a whole host of things that are going on in our country. And people will say to you, that's false because they don't receive it. People who are in pride will reject what you say because they don't receive it. That's it. That's the only reason. People who are humble, even if you speak something that is contrary to what they know, they will analyze it by its source, its facts, and its rightness. They will think about it. They will think, well, no, I challenge your source here. I challenge your facts here because that fact doesn't line up with this fact. And they'll talk about it. They'll debate it. People who are in pride are not into debates. They're into simply declaring you are false. That's it. You are wrong. Because they don't want to change. The direction that they're going to go, the direction that they are on, is the direction that they will stay. And even if God himself comes down and speaks to them through a prophet, their response is, you are false. Now take this out today, and you've probably already done this. You know people that are unsaved. And if you take to them the gospel, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by him. But he's willing to accept all. All you need is faith in God. All you need is to believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior. All can come to a repentance and knowledge of him. And what will they say? That's wrong. Have they checked it out? No, I haven't checked it out at all. Don't need to check it out. It's wrong because I don't receive it. What can you do with people like that? <laughs> you can't really do much at all, folks. They're in pride. People in pride, they, you can't work on them. And God's resistant to them, and they're resistant to God. Stay out of pride. It's, it's a terrible thing to, to get into. It will hinder you in so many ways. So we see that these two leaders and all the proud men, this is what they're saying to, to Jeremiah. You speak falsely. The Lord our God has not sent you to say, do not go to Egypt to dwell there. How do they know? They thought he was authentic and they came to him made the request. They thought he was authentic and waited the 10 days. They came expecting an authentic word. But when it came out, they don't go to the Word of God to check it out. Remember, if you were over here on uh, Wednesday nights, we were looking at the book of Acts. And when Paul went into the area of Berea, he said that when he would teach, that these people would then go home and check out the Scriptures to see if what he taught them was so. They didn't go to the Scriptures to see if what they taught him was false. They went to the Scriptures to see if what they taught him was so. And he said they were, of, uh, he called them noble, or they were, they were very open to, uh, to hear the word of God. And these guys are not. The Lord our God has not sent you. Do not go to Egypt to dwell there. He has not said it. He has not said these things. But they have nothing to base it on. But no, you're wrong. You're wrong. People that are out there who just declare whatever opposition they face as wrong without going into any detail, they're in pride. And more than likely, folks, they're wrong. 
doesn't matter what they do. They're wrong. Think back into the, I mean, some of you are, are around, you've been here long enough, and you went to school when they taught history. They don't really teach it anymore. They were, they were struggling with teaching it when I was going to school, but you know, at least they taught some of it. But when you had somebody like Newton come up with a new theory, and the theory was right, but he, it was new, and people would come against him. The church came against him and demanded that he refute everything that he wrote. Not based on any scientific data, based on the fact that, no, that that's wrong. We, we won't accept that. He could show them, well, look, this is, this is no, no, no. You've got to say that it's wrong. And he's not the only one. There were others who would, who would do things. I mean, the first people who thought the earth was round, what did they face? When Columbus decided to sail across the ocean, what did people say was going to happen to him? You're going to fall off the edge because the earth is flat. You're going to fall off the edge. And he didn't fall off the edge. And now people who think the earth is flat are seen as crazy. But that's not how it always was. You know, there are people still out there. There's still a flatter society out there. There is. Go up on the Internet, you can find them. I don't know why you would want to, but you can find them. You speak falsely. The Lord our God has not sent you to say, do not go to Egypt to dwell there. Now, see, they, they wanted him to authenticate their way. When he didn't, they have to unauthenticate him. Same strategy they use today. If they can't combat your facts, they need to make people disbelieve you. But Barak, the son of Neriah, has set you against us to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans, that they may put us to death to carry us away captives to Babylon. Well, here's another one who's telling them things they didn't want to hear. No, no, no. We, you got people that are uh, you're, you're conspiring against us. And we're going to put fear in the hearts of people. We're, going to, we're not going to have basis on anything at all. We're just going to make a charge against you that you are trying to work for the king of Babylon to keep us here so that he can kill us all. There's no basis for the charge, is there? I mean, just, just look at the story. If you thought Jeremiah was in league with King Nebuchadnezzar, would you have brought the request to him? No, you wouldn't have brought it. So instantly, these people go from being a believer in Jeremiah and that he would bring the word of the Lord to instantly, no, 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 you're on the wrong side. This is how people can go. People who walk in the truth are not afraid of facts. They are not afraid of them. Bring out all the facts you want. We're not afraid. Because we're in the truth. Right? Are you afraid of anyone who's a heathen bringing facts? They're going to disprove your Bible? Not afraid of that at all. Come on, let's have a talk about it. So they go on. So Jonathan and all the captains of the forces and all the people, oh, I'm sorry, so jo- jo- Johanan, all the people would not obey the voice of the Lord to remain in the land of Egypt or the land of Judah and went to go to Egypt. But Johanan, the son of Kareah, and all the captains of the forces took all the remnant of Judah who had returned to dwell in the land of Judah from all the nations where they had been driven, men, women, children, the king's daughters, and every person whom Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah the prophet, and Baruch, the son of Neriah. So they went to the land of Egypt, for they did not obey the voice of the Lord, and they went as far as Tapanus. 
That's in Egypt. It's one of the fortress cities that was, that was there. So what they do is they force Jeremiah to go with them. They take Jeremiah with them on the trip. And they take, take the, the guy they accused him to be in league with, they take him on the trip. You were coming with us. Now, Jeremiah, doesn't, he doesn't want to go down there. But they force him to go. And they drag him, put him in chains, drag him along. He's, he's going to go. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah in Tapanas, saying, Take large stones in your hand and hide them in the sight of the men of Judah, in the clay in the brick courtyard, which is at the entrance to Pharaoh's house in Tapanes. And say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will send and bring Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. God calls him his servant. And will set his throne above these stones that I have hidden. And he will spread his royal pavilion over them. When he comes, he shall strike the land of Egypt and deliver to death those appointed for death and to captivity, those appointed for captivity, and the sword, those appointed for the sword. I will kindle a fire in the houses of the gods of Egypt, and he shall burn them and carry them away captive. And he shall array himself with the land of Egypt as a shepherd puts on his garment. And he shall go out from, the, from there in peace. And he shall also break the sacred pillars of Bashemesh that are in the land of Egypt. And the houses of the gods of the Egyptians he shall burn with fire. So he says, all right, I'm going to send Egypt. He, he tells Jeremiah, take these stones and I want you to hide them around the courtyard here in Egypt. Just like Israel thinks they are hidden here in Egypt. And tell them that Nebuchadnezzar is going to come down. He's going to find you. He's going to come in here and he's going to burn this and destroy this. He's going to find you and he's going to kill you. You will die. Would that shake you up? Well, if you're in pride, you just don't receive it. <laughs> nah, we don't, we don't uh, have to mess with our facts on that. Just because I believe it to be this way, that's all that we need. Verse 1 of chapter 44. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the Jews who dwell in the land of Egypt, who dwell at Migdal, at Tephanes, at Naph, and in the country of Pathros, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, You have seen all the calamity that I have brought on Jerusalem and all the cities of Judah. And behold, this day there are desolation, and no one dwells in them because of their wickedness, which they have committed to provoke me to anger in that they went to burn incense and to serve other gods whom they did not know, they nor you nor your fathers. However, I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, saying, Oh, do not do this abominable thing that I hate. But they did not listen or incline their ear to turn from their wickedness to burn no incense to other gods. So my fury and my anger were poured out and kindled in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. They are wasted, desolate, as, in, as it is this day. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, why do you commit this great evil against yourselves to cut off from you man and woman, child and infant out of Judah, leaving none to remain, in that you provoke me to wrath with the works of your hands, burning incense to other gods in the land of Egypt, where you have gone to dwell, that you may cut yourselves off and be a curse and a reproach among all the nations of the earth? picture he's painting here is this. They went down to Egypt despite the fact that they sought after God and God said, don't go. They went. 
They took prophet, the prophet with them. They get on down there. And instead of, and the word of the Lord came to them again. You're going to be found here. This is what's going to happen. And so if you were these people and you worship Jehovah God and he's done all these things in your past. And the prophet comes and he tells you all these things. You would think you might repent along somewhere. That you might get, ah, oh, you know what? We need to get back with God. And they don't. They go down in the land of Egypt and they begin to offer sacrifices to other gods. Isn't that amazing? And so he comes to him and says, look, when you were in the land of Judah, you uh, worshipped these other gods. And the whole place was destroyed because you worshipped these other gods. So you're going to come down here to Egypt and worship these other gods and think that a different thing is going to happen? That's not the way it's going to be. He says, verse 9, Have you forgotten the wickedness of your fathers, the wickedness of the kings of Judah, the wickedness of your wives, of, of, of their wives, your own wickedness, and the wickedness of your wives, which they committed in the land of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? They have not been humbled to this day, nor have they feared. They have not walked in my law or in my statutes that I set before you and your fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will set my face against you for catastrophe. And for cutting off all Judah. And I will take the remnant of Judah who have set their faces to go into the land of Egypt to dwell there. And they shall all be consumed and fall in the land of Egypt. And they shall be consumed by the sword and by famine. And they shall die from the least to the greatest by the sword and by famine. And they shall be an oath, an astonishment, a curse and a reproach. For I will punish those who dwell in the land of Egypt as I have punished Jerusalem by the sword by famine and by pestilence. Same thing he said before, isn't it? So that none of the remnant of Judah who have gone into the land of Egypt to dwell there shall escape or survive, lest they return to the land of Judah to which they desire to return and dwell. For none shall return except those who escape. Then all the men who knew that their wives had burned incense to other gods with all the women who stood by, a great multitude, and all the people who dwell in the land of Egypt, and Pathros answered Jeremiah, saying, Now watch these answers. These are, these are something. As for the word you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. But we will certainly do whatever has gone out of our own mouth. To burn incense to the queen of heaven and pour out drink offerings to her as we have done. We and our fathers, our kings, and our princes in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food, were well off, and saw no trouble. Isn't it amazing how we alter history? When Israel was in the wilderness and they always wanted to go back to Egypt, how do they always remember Egypt? We had leeks and garlic and onions we had so much abundance of food, and yet when they were there, what were they doing? Crying out to God because things were so bad. They forgot. They forgot all the things that God did for them in the wilderness. And they forgot all the pestilence, and they forgot all the famine that they came into because of the idolatry that they had fallen into. They somehow remembered it as different, which is why our country doesn't teach history. Because if you teach history, you teach God. So they alter history and they alter the people. Don't let them do it.
Teach your kids what God has done to make this nation great, what God has done in this world. It's important that we know. Here we go. But since we stopped burning incense to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. Do they know this by the facts of what happened? No. They know this because a thought came into their head. That thought went down into their heart. And then it produced an action where they sacrificed again to the queen of heaven. Oh, I forgot to fill this in for your outline there. But bringing good people into a bad way will not make the way better nor alter its destination. When they brought Jeremiah along on their trip, you cannot bring good people into a bad way. It will not make the way better nor alter its destination. So they fell back and continued to worship. Now this uh, particular one that they are worshiping, this queen of heaven, it has been in throughout history. In Babylon, she was known as Ishtar. But there's also other names that the Bible put upon her. Uh, Ashtart and Ashtora. I gave you two references there. If you want to go look them up, you can find some other times that these folks were into it. Solomon brought them into it at one point. When he got into uh, idolatry, he was one of the ones who brought her into this queen of heaven. And things, how many have ever heard that term used today? She has not gone away. People still worship the queen of heaven. And sometimes they put it on some things that are in the Christian church. There are people who do ascribe the queen of heaven to Mary. It is, uh, they, just, they just change the names. All that the devil cares about is that you worship a false god. <laughs> and we just change the, the name. So from one society to another, it just became altered and changed and We'll see those, those things going on. But what they did was they had this thought. It was better for us when we sacrificed to the queen of heaven. When was it better for them? When they sacrificed and worshiped God. Right? We've got documentation on that. We have the stories. We have the things that God did. We had the deliverance that God did. We had huge armies that were wiped out when they came against Israel because they served God. We had famines that were dissipated. We had water when they needed water, rain in its season. It was good for them when they worshiped God. But now they're remembering it this way. When we sacrificed and we worshiped the queen of heaven, it was good. When we stopped, it got bad. That is not based on facts. It's not based on history. It's based on a thought. And that thought embedded in their heart. Now you can't get it out. You can show them all the facts that you want to. It makes no difference. Makes no difference at all. Verse 18, we leave off. Verse 19. The woman also said, the women also said, that was the men who were answering there. This is the women. And when we burned incense to the queen of heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, did we make cakes for her to worship her and pour out drink offerings to her without our husband's permission? So a house was divided. We don't need their permission. We can do what we want to do. Is what they're what they're saying. Husbands thought, well, we can do what we want to do. That's not the way they're, they have a household. So they're, what they're saying is, we started this. We went into there, we went out there, and we we didn't uh, consult our husbands. We were bringing the family into something, but we didn't consult them. And it worked, and it was good. Jeremiah spoke to all the people, the men, the women, and all the people who had given him that answer, saying. 
The incense that you burned in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, you and your fathers, your kings and your princes and the people of the land, did not the Lord remember them and did it not come into his mind so the Lord could no longer bear it because of the evil of your doings and because of the abominations which you committed. Therefore, your land is a desolation and abomination, an astonishment, a curse and without an inhabitant. As it is this day, because you have burned incense and because you have sinned against the Lord and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord or walked in his law, in his statutes or in his testimonies. Therefore, this calamity has happened to you as at that day. So what he's saying is, do you guys forget? Do you remember the pictures at home? The walls of Jerusalem are knocked down. The temple, it's burned. Your houses, they're burned. The place is desolate. Nothing's growing there anymore. Did you forget? That's what you left behind. You know why it's that way? Because you offered incense and you offered sacrifices to foreign gods. He's giving them the facts. Do you remember? Think back. What's your house look like right now? What's your city look like right now? What's it look like? Why is it that way? He's saying it's that way because you sacrifice to these. But you want to remember it. No, when we stop sacrificing to the queen of heaven, that's when things got bad. Moreover, Jeremiah said to all the people and to all the women. <laughs> Isn't that kind of odd? Aren't the women involved in all the people? <laughs> I don't know. To me, all the people is men and women. All the women doesn't include the men. So all the people and all the women. Hear the word of the Lord, all Judah, who are in the land of Egypt. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, You and your wives have spoken with your mouths and fulfilled with your hands, saying, We will surely keep our vows that we have made to burn incense to the queen of heaven, and pour out drink offerings to her. You will surely keep your vows and perform your vows. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. All Judah who dwell in the land of Egypt, behold, I have sworn by my great name, says the Lord, that my name shall no more be named in the mouth of any man of Judah in all the land of Egypt, saying, The Lord God lives. Behold, I will watch over them for adversity and not for good. And all the men of Judah who are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by the sword and by famine until there is an end to them. Yet a small number who escaped the sword shall return from the land of Egypt to the land of Judah. And all the remnant of Judah who have gone to the land of Egypt to dwell there shall know whose words will stand, mine or theirs. And this shall be a sign to you, says the Lord, that I will punish you in this place that you may know that my words will surely stand against you for adversity. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give Pharaoh, Hophra, king of Egypt, into the hand of his enemies and into the hand of those who seek his life, as I gave Zedekiah, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, his enemy who sought his life. So what he's saying is this. You're all going to die except for a few small group of people that I'm going to allow to escape to go on back and tell everybody how bad it was, all was. Because I want everybody to have this on record, what it was and what brought you down. I want people to go back there and say, this is what Jeremiah said. This is what we did. These are people who are caught up in pride. Now, here's back to your outline there. When we are in pride, our way, our needs, our thoughts, our understanding all take precedent over God. When we are in pride, our way, our needs, our thoughts, our understanding all take precedent over God. As we said already, I am more person in pride is more mindful of their needs than they are of the needs of others. They will exalt their way over God's way and over God's plan. 
they will exalt their needs over the, what the Word of God states. Because our heart is set on doing what we see, perceive, and understand. Because our heart is a person in pride, their heart is set on doing what we see, what we perceive, what we understand. We will not go outside of ourselves. A person in pride will not go outside of themselves. They can't take correction from other people. They can't take correction from God. They can't have faith in what they cannot see. They have to see it. They have to perceive it. And they have to understand it. And if you limit yourself to what you can see, what you can perceive, and what you can understand with your mind, you will be in pride. Only the way you can go. You have to get yourself to be teachable. You have to get yourself to be humble. And when God speaks something, I am ready to receive it. I am ready to hear it. When God speaks revelation to me, I hear it. I do it. I got to listen to that revelation. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 46. I don't know if I put these in your outline or not. I think I try to try and squeeze them in the bottom. Good. Then they're there. You have the references. I'm going to read these off for you. He said to them, set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law. Set your hearts on what? The words that God spoke. Set your hearts on the words that God spoke. First Chronicles twenty two nineteen. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Therefore arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord God to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy articles of God into the house that is to be built for the name of the Lord. Second Chronicles eleven sixteen. And after the Levites left those from all the tribes of Israel, set as or such as set their heart to seek the Lord God of Israel, such as set their heart to seek. The Lord God of Israel came to Jerusalem to sacrifice the Lord God of their fathers. In Psalm 78, verse 8, it may, it may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. A generation that did not set its heart aright. Daniel 10 and verse 12. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand... And to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. You can either set your heart to only do what I can see, what I can understand with my mind, or I can set my heart to get into his word, get into God's word, to when God speaks to me, listen to it, and to do it. One direction will set your heart in a place, in a direction of pride. Or one, one, type, one thing that you can do will set it in a way of pride. The other will put your heart, set your heart in such a way that you are humble. Which way is your life going right now? Which way is your life going? Pride will set your heart one way. Humility will set it in another. Are you going in the way of pride or are you going in the way of humility? And just because you confess God, just because you say all the right things, does not mean you are not in pride. That's why we looked at those words that these guys spoke in the beginning. They sounded great. They sounded wonderful. They even waited all ten days. And when they came, they were anxious to hear what God had to say. 
cannot always tell a person in pride by the words that they say because that is the last area that is overtaken. And most of the time, they know when to cover them up. They know how to make their words sound good. But where are we? Pride wants to come in and it wants to alter your way to be against the purpose of God. It wants to alter your focus to be more on your needs instead of also on the needs of others. And it wants to take the wisdom of God and make it seem like it's foolishness. Folks, let me tell you what. Father knows best. (laughs) Father God knows best. And if he tells us in his word, if he tells us through a still small voice in our spirit, if he tells us through some other way, Steve, don't go down to Egypt. I best listen. Even though I may want to. But we've got to be careful because sometimes we can have set our heart so strong to do a thing. Even though we go through the motions of seeking after God, we won't hear it. And I'll tell you what, God knows our heart condition. We don't know each other's heart condition until we reveal it. But God knows our heart's condition. And he speaks to us based upon it. What is your heart like? Where are you at? If you cannot receive instruction from other people, read the signs. If you cannot receive instruction from the Word of God, read the signs. If you're so focused on what you don't have that you can't see and enjoy what you do, read the signs. Read the signs. If joy is not a part of your life, but frustration and anxiety, read the signs. The signs are all around us. If you are following a lifestyle of pride, the signs are are there. They are there. Will you read them? Will you recognize them? Will you respond? If we get ourselves out of a place of pride and walk in the way of humility, God's grace is poured out to us and we can enjoy every moment that we are down here. If we walk in the way of pride, God resists us, and calamity comes our way. Look at how he resisted the people, his people, his chosen people. Look at how he resisted them when they went down to Egypt. And they did what he said not to do, and they didn't trust their Father God. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you for the help that you give us to understand what is in your word. To understand the signs. We can read the signs. Am I in pride? Am I in humility? Which way am I going? Oh, we just need to read the signs. They're all around. Your word has told us how we can read the signs. Told us what they look like. What they say. Sometimes we're just not willing to read. Father, it's so important that we read the signs. And get on the right road and in the right direction. For then you can bless us. Then you can bring us into the plan that you have. Father, I thank you for it. We give you the praise and the glory for it. 
In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If anyone's here and you say, you know what? I am recognizing some of the signs of pride in my life. You don't have to come up here to the front or do anything like that. But change it. Change it. If you have the ability to see it, change it. Understand, people have walked in this life and have gotten so hard, they could no longer see it. And they weren't able to make a change. Don't get that hard. Walk in the way with God. Oh, it's a good way. We have some praise reports to, uh, to read and to go over. Okay, we have some praise reports about some financial blessings. Um, Christian says, on Friday, I was told that I'll be getting a raise and a bonus for all the extra work he's been doing. Hey. Praise God for that. <laughs> Did you know that? No, I didn't you know, know that. I, I praise God my son is just like my husband. I find things out at church when everybody else does. <laughs> Um, Ethel says the Holy Spirit gave me the answer to an issue she's been having. And over the weekend, she read an article in a magazine saying the same thing. See, by the word of two or three witnesses, right? She says, but praise God, he said it first to her. Amen. Um, Tony says she's been short money for, for her meds, and she prayed, and yesterday was able to get the meds she needed. Praise report for God's promises here. Ray and Angela said, we praise God that our daughter, despite her current pulling away from God, has been brought up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and she will return. Amen? Amen. And the things we speak about our kids, God doesn't take that lightly. You know, the word of God has been poured out in their hearts, and he says they will not, re- you know, not pull away from it when they're older. Um, this one's from Vanessa. She says it's been about four months, and she's had no problems with her left knee. If you all remember, we prayed over her knee. She's been having a lot of pain, and so now she's in, woohoo! <laughs> and this one's from Gladys, and this one just absolutely blessed my heart because, you know, a lot of times we think that the little things don't matter. And this might seem little, but it was very, very precious to her. Um, she says, just to say God is concerned about the little things in your life. I have a very delicate plant that died during the reconstruction of my home. I found the plant with no signs of life. It is a very special plant to me. Um, It was actually given to her by somebody. uh, It was a friend of hers who had passed away, so it was very precious to her. So I asked God to revive the plant. While pushing the dead parts deep into the dirt, she now has, um, now the plant has three new beautiful shoots reaching to the sun. So God restored life unto that. Amen. Any others? We're good?